Hey there, thoughtful listener. What is your number one lead generation blocker? Head to upmyinfluence.com slash quiz to find out right now. That's upmyinfluence.com slash quiz, and I'll share why you aren't getting the intros and sales you deserve. We're also actively seeking guests for this daily commercial-free entrepreneur wisdom podcast. Agency owners, consultants, coaches, and B2B service providers, head to upmyinfluence.com slash guest, and I'd love to promote your expertise to our amazing audience. Let's get on with the show. With us right now, it's David Dressler. David, you are an individual leadership coach, you're a strategic advisor, you are the co-author of the book, Tenure Plan, and you are found on the web at quietadvisory.com. David, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Josh. Great to be here. Yes, give us an overview. I kind of gave a very high level. I shared your titles and so forth, uh, but but please share with us the impact that you have in the world. Sure. So, um, uh before becoming a, uh, a coach, and what I call myself as a holistic leadership coach, because I try to work with the whole leader, um, before doing that, uh, I ran my own company. I founded a company called Tender Greens Restaurants. We built it to $100 million in revenue over uh, a 10-year uh, span. And um, the most thing, the thing that I'm most proud of is the organization and the culture that we built. So uh, we were in uh, three states, 1,400 people, 30 restaurants up and down the California coast and then to the East Coast. And it was a remarkable time for me, uh, mostly because, uh, well, certainly we built a successful enterprise, but we built an enduring, loving, beautiful culture. And so uh, what I do now with, uh, with folks, um, leaders of organizations is individually work with the leaders to be the best versions of themselves they can be, but also uh, work with the organization to make sure that the culture stays um, dynamic, loving, heart-centered, whatever it is that the culture should be uh, as they navigate the pain points of growth. You know, what you're talking about here is not necessary. I'm going to guess, I don't think it's common in the restaurant industry. <laughs> we, My wife and I are watching, it's a fan, I, I don't know if you've heard of it, The Bear on Hulu, um, but it's about tough restaurant culture and, you know, just kind of a, a divey, but like amazing quality food restaurant in Chicago. But man, talk about intense and stress. And uh, is tell me about the kind of the early days of Tender Greens and being mindful of culture. Did you have a background in the restaurant industry, or I suppose you're working with people that had that background, certainly the chefs. And so how did you dive in? how do you create a culture that maybe, I mean, is the right thing to do, but might not be the common thing to do? Well, uh, we, uh, we, you, you, you're, you're right in, in how you describe the restaurant business. Typically it can be, you know, a million degrees in the kitchen with, uh, with, the, uh, with the, uh, emotional equivalent happening inside the people. So, mm -hmm. um, we all worked for chefs like that, and we didn't want to create that kind of an environment for our people. And um, 
when we uh, when we first started, we hired a bunch of high school kids, and we were three three guys, partners, uh, co-founders, running our first restaurant with a bunch of sixteen and seventeen year old kids who, you know, needed some ass kicking from time to time, but also sure. some some uh, some dad energy from time to time, some big brother energy from time to time, and we didn't want to just be bosses. We knew what that was like, and so. Um, it got us to stretch our muscles a little bit in terms of how we behaved and how we related to folks. And we just decided that the best thing that we could do is be whatever the team member needed us to be really to sort of adopt servant leadership, even though we didn't really understand what that was. And so, um, you know, I, I like to think that restaurant uh, restaurants behave a lot like families because you spend a lot of time together because you um, you get real close in close quarters and you're together when everybody else is celebrating. So um, except that you can't really be family at work because well fire doesn't family doesn't fire each other and and family doesn't necessarily hold people accountable the same way that a working relationship does. So um, the culture kind of grew as a as a as a hybrid between uh, between family and what it's like to be on a sports team, I suppose, mm-hmm. where there's a mutual interdependence between people and people rely on each other for win-win outcomes, but they participate actively in those win-win outcomes. Um, so obviously, you know, I, I think that you are touching on um, critical. Um, philosophies in terms of running and operating a business that I think are incredibly applicable today, given the narrative of a lot of turnover in um, certainly in the restaurant industry, but in pretty much every industry, there's been a lot of movement of maybe employees that are burnt out. Maybe they're they're not seeing the culture that they really want. Um, how does your message resonate for the problems that many employers uh, may be facing today? So we we started with, with the restaurant business and what that's like. But it's true that uh, every business goes through a life cycle. Um, in the beginning, it's us against the world. We're pioneers. We're anti-corporate. We're all in this together. We're going through it. And that feeling of opening a business is, you know, as you know, Josh, just that incredible feeling of togetherness. And then the wheels start to shake as the business grows and it, there's a need for systems. There's maybe a need for rules. And there is that adolescence that happens where the business is tr- struggling to deal with itself. It doesn't want to be corporate, doesn't want to follow the rules. It wants to still stay fresh, but it needs to get organized. And then it goes through that sort of trial and error period where it sort of overcorrects in certain ways and it stays true almost to a fault to, to who it was originally. And because of that, there's friction where just naturally, um, as my friend Danny Meyer says, there's bark that needs to be shed. Some people go along with the ride as the founders or the executives find their way. So do the team members find their way. We're all finding our way, but some people don't. They either reach their Peter principle. They, they can't quite get with the plan. The leaders aren't quite clear on the plan. So it's messy and some people need order. So there's parting of the ways and that can be hugely painful hugely painful to say goodbye to long-term people. I certainly went through that experience of, of saying goodbye to some people who had been with us since the very early days, and it was awful. 
but it ends up being a win in the end for those people because they go on to their happy place. The organization gets what it needs, hopefully um, in most circumstances. But the message is no matter what that life cycle, no matter where you are in that, in that, um, in that continuum, a company needs to look after its own because the great resignation has shown us and millennials in particular have shown us that um, people are willing to go elsewhere for simpler things well beyond money, whether they feel like they're contributing to the organization, whether they feel like they're valued and heard, whether they uh, get training and development in more than just the job, um, whether they feel like they're a part of something that matters, those things are important to uh, employees. And, and, and if that's true and we want to have people stay longer, then we need to get with the program and provide those opportunities for people to feel like that. Yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, what are, I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about other things that, uh, let's say, someone's listening, they're an agency owner, um, maybe they uh, operate a small consultancy, what might be some of those lessons that can be learned from the kitchen or from the restaurant industry that we may not be talking about a whole lot, but you're like, boy, if you were to spend 30 days, you know, kind of working in an environment that we created where it's, you know, really fast moving, a lot of players. Um, it, it's almost like he could, you know, send them to, to restaurant boot camp to learn how to uh, maybe be a better COO, for example. Um, sure. What might be some of those things that are unique to the restaurant industry that other industries could really value from those insights? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is a well-worn restaurant axiom, which is, if you want to design a better broom, ask the guy that sweeps the floor. So as people build businesses, they go from um, conscious competence to unconscious incompetence, meaning that they got into a business because they were really good at doing that thing, but now they're building a business and they're depending more and more on people um, in their organization to do the job uh, for the customer. And it's really important to check in with those people to figure out how can we grow and solve the problems and the pain points that we're coming up against together? How can I put my team in a room and say, hey, what's working? What are we really proud of? What are we doing better than everybody else? And also, what do we suck at? Where are we wasting too much time? Where are we, where are we bottlenecking? Where are, the, where are the frustrations happening? And how can we solve those? How can we build a better mousetrap so that uh, so that we can get the job done faster, easier, and it's easier for you guys to do a great job. That's the first and foremost thing that I would I would touch on. How does what you're teaching and talking about, you know, if we think of like, um, let's say a matrix of, of of systems and and working with people, you know, I, I um, it's not a great um, you know equivalency for a, a, a matrix, but let's say there's e myth on one side. And then there's kind of linchpin on the other end, you know, Seth Godin approach, right? Um, where it's all about how, how do you, where do we find that balance between, you know, systems and automation and processes versus, you know, really investing into relationships? So uh, we all know the one uh, culture eats strategy for lunch, <laughs> right? <laughs> Who's wait, wait, wait? I actually, I think I've heard that before. Where, where is that from? Well, it's attributed to Peter Drucker, but I don't, okay. I don't know that that's true. And, and you know, if you get wonky about looking it up, there's no huge proof that he ever said it or that he okay, <laughs> or, or that he didn't say it years after somebody else did. But 
The point is that um, one, uh, culture is important, but so is strategies. It doesn't, and I don't think Peter Drucker was trying to say, you know, screw strategy. But if you have a cultural foundation of inclusiveness and empathy and empowerment, mm-hmm. I think it's a hell of a lot easier to achieve your strategy. If people actually like being there and they know why they're there and they know what's expected of them and they know what they can expect from, from their bosses, that's a way better way to go about business. Yeah. I, I certainly find that decision making or, uh, you know, when when faced with a challenge, right, it is, you know, kind of pulling back onto our culture and our values and saying, well, what do we stand for? If one of our core values in our case where my influence is human connection, then, well, that makes a very easy decision on what we should do. We should find a human connection approach to solving this problem. Um, that's I know that's the thing that's been immensely valuable for us to have that. And without that work, it's, you know, if you're just trying to, you know, copycat. Yeah, I mean, if you're just trying to copycat everything based on a very uh, left brain logical, you lose the heart, right? And then it just becomes... You know, why are we here? Does this really matter? And it's just okay. It's I, I appreciate efficient systems, but still, it's like, um, you, know, it's a, you know, we want the human elements. Like, why do we still have human umpires? Are they really necessary? Could we just, you know, let AI do everything? No, we could, for all that matter, we could get rid of the, the, the ball, the ball players as well and just have robots and just, you know, watch AI baseball. But that's not fun because these are no longer humans involved in the sport. Josh, it's the same thing for whatever the culture is. Culture is just the product of intention supported by action. If your intention is to be heart-centered and connected and, and in relationship, but you keep secrets and there's hierarchies and you play favorites, then that's your culture. If your culture is inclusiveness, but you're not, then it's just words. It's just the stuff that's on the wall outside HR, or it's the stuff that you post on Instagram. But I think the true test is when your team members are looking at your Instagram feed and they say, yeah, that's absolutely true. Then that's amazing. But if they're looking at that and they're saying, yeah, that's just a bunch of whitewashing stuff, then, then it's propaganda. And that's your culture. Your culture is propaganda. So um, aligning the intentions that the founders or whoever is running the company has with the actual actions, that's the product that creates culture. And I know one thing that you talk about in in your book, 10-Year Plan, is honesty and transparency. How does that look in a leadership capacity? And also when we're thinking about, you know, how we communicate both internally and externally? Like, how do we... uh, how do we know when maybe we're not at the level that we could be? Are there, I'm just, you know, cause I think everybody, well, at least I hope the vast majority of people want that. That's an ideal. But then I think that there's, maybe there's sometimes we're like, I don't want people to know that because it would make everyone uncomfortable <laughs> or they might not like me. Right. If, if they found out, you know, that we had, you know, this disappointment or whatever, like uh, how do you discuss that in the book? So, um, well, there's a few things. The first is, and to come back to that notion of like putting people in a room and saying, hey, what do we need to do to get better? That prompts uh, 
well, it can prompt either the sense of like, wow, I'm really being criticized here because your team could beat you up mercilessly. You know, we've really, we've really let things go around here. But when you get that feedback and you can hold the idea that these people are participating in this because they're not indifferent, meaning they care. Because if you ask the question, they all said, oh, no, it's fine. Knowing full well that it's not, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. When they are indifferent to your success, that's the problem. But if they're actually taking the time and being uh, courageous enough to share, that means that they want something to improve. They want to stay. They want to find the way. And we have to do the same. We have to be willing to have uncomfortable conversations, crucial conversations, as some might call them. The ability to say, hey, here's the problem that we're having. Here's what we're up against. And we, we trust you guys to be part of the solution. So we want to talk about it. But you need to know because you're going to see us running around a little bit stressed out, you know, and, and, and I think we can solve this together. Now, that doesn't mean that you can share absolutely everything. There are some things that can't be shared, but I think we underestimate how much our teams can actually care and how much our teams can participate and even help problem solve. Yeah. Um, at your website, uh, quietadvisory.com, uh, who do you work with and, and how do you help uh, your, your clients or the folks that you're able to impact? Thanks for asking, Josh. So, um, you know, I, I started out, I, I hung my shingle up. I've been doing coaching for years and years, but I hung my shingle, Quiet Advisory, up right at the start of the pandemic. Mm. And so I had a lot of restaurant folks who were in a hard spot who were saying, hey, help. So uh, I was helping them. Uh, but it turns out that the skills for building a $100 million business are pretty transferable to uh, other industries. So I found myself working with leaders across different places in um, manufacturing, in law, uh, in entertainment, um, of course, the restaurant business, and many others. And so I work in two ways predominantly. Uh, one is as a, a, an executive leadership coach. And as I mentioned at the top, uh, my philosophy is happier at work is happier at home and happier at home is happier at work. So I, I want to coach the whole person and, and uh, whether we're working on their strategy departmentally or whether we're working on their strategy in terms of the pillars of their life, it all comes together. Um, so that's how I work with, with individual leaders uh, from um mostly uh, executives from uh, VP and up, but I certainly work with some founders and entrepreneurs where the, you know, their titles aren't, are less important because they haven't necessarily professionalized yet. Um, And then on the team level, I'll go into organizations predominantly as a culture coach. Where did the wheels start to fall off? Where did we lose the, the original vision because we got so successful and we're running so fast and we're putting together all these systems and it doesn't feel like the same company anymore. And we want to get back to that. That's, that's one opportunity. Another opportunity is they just took a hefty investment from, from a private equity firm. And now there's a board of directors and the founders are trying to navigate the politics of that and figure out how to do a good job for the new partner, or maybe the partner, the new partner is saying, Hey, we don't. We want to relate better to to the management team, to the founders, and we're having a disconnect. So I can go in and, and clarify those because I, I I worked both building a company and having strategic partnerships and investors and, 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 and an expanded board of directors, and that's hard. It's hard on both sides. So uh, maybe that, or maybe um, the company has gotten to a certain size and they've professionalized. They brought in a new CEO to 
to handle the next phase of growth as, as I went through, I, I hired my replacement a couple of times. And, um, and that's hard, you know, that's hard, that's hard on the founder because that's a new transition for the founder. That's a hard place to be when somebody that you hired is sitting in your office with the door closed meeting with your team and, uh, and you weren't invited. So that's a whole um, area where I can work with the team to regain alignment, to figure out, flesh out what's important, where the pain points are, where we're not seeing eye to eye, um, and work on aligning that team. So those are the, you know, organ organizationally, that's where I work. And then individually, that's where I work, either guide on the side or <laughs> sort of helpful uncle in the room. Yeah. David Dressler, again, uh, your book, The 10-Year Plan, uh, again, you can find that at uh, quietadvisory.com or you can, again, search Amazon. Um, your website, quietadvisory.com. When you go there, there's a button right there that says schedule a call. Uh, David, it's been a phenomenal conversation. Thank you so much. Congratulations on your success with Tender Greens. It's so great to see, uh, you know, a great idea, commitment to doing it the right way. Uh, to, to, to see that uh, thrive so well. It's a great model for many other business owners. So David, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Josh. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Show. If you are a thoughtful business owner or professional who would like to be on this daily program, please visit upmyinfluence.com slash guest. If you're a listener, I'd love to shout out your business to our whole audience for free. You can do that by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or join our listener Facebook group. Just search for The Thoughtful Entrepreneur in Facebook. I'd love even if you just stopped by to say hi. I'd love to meet you. We believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. We love our community who listens and shares our program every day. Together, we are empowering one another as thoughtful entrepreneurs. Hit subscribe so that tomorrow morning, that's right, seven days a week, you are going to be inspired and motivated to succeed. I promise to bring positivity and inspiration to you for around 15 minutes each day. Thanks for listening and thank you for being a part of the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Movement. Thank you.